Good morning, everybody. Today we're going to be reading from Acts 4, 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Ananias and the high priest and Caphias and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they, had, they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Haley. So if you are visiting with us today for the first time, either online or here in person, we are, as John said, in a series called Multiply. We, are, we want to welcome you today. We hope that you're uh, connecting with some of our people and the, the idea behind Multiply is that we would be free and willing to share our faith with others. It's this natural impulse that you have inside of you once you've tasted God's grace to want to tell somebody else about Jesus, and yet, you know, we struggle to do it. It's a very real uh, challenge in the world to, to share your faith. So today, we want to think about gospel boldness 
uh, a gentle boldness. This is one of my all-time favorite passages on the subject. So when you think about Acts chapter 4, think about gospel boldness and a freedom with which Peter and John are able to say to those who are, um, who are opposing them, bringing judgment on them, trying to silence them, they're willing to freely say, man, we believe, come trust in Christ with us. So, so boldness is what we want to think about. And boldness is a tricky thing. Uh, it's a tricky thing for Christians. It's different for us than, say, a professional boxer or an MMA fighter, right? You expect, you'd expect trash talk and swagger and all that, right? Because that's, that's what boxers do. Um, this, it's, it's, but it's a dangerous thing for Christians. Boldness is a dangerous thing for Christians. It's uniquely dangerous for us because there's no place for swagger and arrogance and overconfidence in the disciple of Jesus. There's just no place for it. It, it, it betrays who we're trusting in. And when it comes to religion, that compounds the problem even more because, man, if you want to start a fight, talk about religious opinions and talk about them in a heated way and people quickly get excited, right? In that context, religious boldness, zeal without knowledge, can be really off-putting, insulting, ugly, off-putting, and just foolish. Um, I think it's even fair to say that among the more fundamentalist type churches, we have created an unhealthy distance between us and the world for the wrong reasons. We have created antagonism for the wrong reasons. We've not let the scandal of the gospel be the scandal of the gospel. And there's just a really, listen, there's a really big difference between Christ-like gospel boldness, a gentle boldness. There's a record label called Humble Beast, right? There's a difference between gospel boldness, Christ-like boldness, and self-righteousness that's been baptized. Huge difference. Let me give you an example. I was studying, um, well, I had coffee with Jay Jones early one morning in the Lakeside Starbucks, uh, so other side of town, um, and Jay and I met and catching up with each other, praying together, and, and, and then after that, I went into study mode, so I had my books all over the, I was social distancing, and I had my books all over the table, and, and I had my headphones on, and um, so about a 23, 24-year-old dude walked, walked by and stopped at the table, and, uh, and I took my headphones off and said, hey, good morning, how's it going? He said, hey, well, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you, stu- what are you doing? What are you studying? I said, well, I'm doing a little sermon prep. And he's like, oh, yeah, I see that. I see that. What translation of the Bible are you using? And my alarm went off. And I said, well, I'm using translations of the scriptures that most accurately reflect the Hebrew and the Greek text. <laughs> he's like, okay, well, the King James Version of the Bible is the, is the best translation, and here's why. And just started in proselytizing me on the King James Version of the Bible. And I said, I said, bro, time out. We, like, are, are you sure you want to go there? We haven't even, you don't even know my name. We haven't even met properly. You, you, we haven't even, we're not, 
is this the way you want to present Christianity to people? He's like, no, no, I, I, assumed, I already assumed that you, you, you know the gospel and you know the Lord. I said, no, 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 you can't assume those things. And he just latched on like a pit bull, and, and it was like game on for him. And he starts saying, no, no, this is the only translation of the scriptures that has been preserved under God's providence. I say, you can't make that argument. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense to me, and I've been studying this for 28 years. It doesn't make sense to people who you're thinking about. Like, this doesn't even make sense. And it, it got, you know, kind of got intense pretty quickly. And I, I said, look, look. Let's, let's just back up a little bit. No, man, he locked in. I mean, he was like on my jugular with the pit bull bite, ready to kill. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, in just a second, I'm going to put my headphones back on. I'm going to slide back into my study mode, and I'm going to pray for resolution. Because I, 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 don't, I don't sense that we can hear each other right now. And what I, what I want you to feel this morning is that that is a baptized self-righteousness that is incredibly off-putting to people. You might commend him for his zeal for the word of God, but there was a foolishness woven into it that short circuit the whole thing, so much so that he's telling me what to believe and he doesn't even know who I am. And so that's not the kind of boldness we're talking about. People are not impressed with that. Nobody's getting converted when you try to convert them. Nobody's getting converted when you try to convert them. The gospel boldness that Peter and John have working here is a beautiful, gentle gospel boldness. I want to talk to you about what it is how, uh, where it comes from, secondly, what makes it effective, and third, to whom does it answer? What is it, where does it come from, what makes it effective, and to whom does it answer? Lord, give us a gospel, a beautiful, gentle gospel boldness. Direct, yes, but not filled with self-righteousness. Look at verse 13. Let's think about what it is for just a minute. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now mark the they there. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, Haley read from the beginning of the chapter. So in chapter three, this man who's, who's, who's been lame for 40 years, crippled, he gets healed. Peter and John say, look, silver and gold we don't have. He's begging alms at the temple. He says, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have in the name of Jesus we give to you. Rise and walk. He gets healed miraculously, amazingly healed. Uh, and and, and 5,000 people, because this is in the afternoon hour of prayer, about 3 p.m., lots of people are there, and the word just spreads like wildfire. There's a miracle here, and this, the, the man Jesus, who the apostles have been talking about, and who died and was buried and rose again, that's, that's how this happened. And so 5,000 people believe. And there's just this huge stir. The they in verse 13 is the local Supreme Court of Jerusalem who doesn't want this to happen. It's the whole high priestly family, verse 6. Annas, once a high priest, always a high priest. Annas and Caiaphas, John and Alexander, the rulers, the elders, Pharisees, scribes. There's this large council that kind of holds the power of Jerusalem. 
in terms of religious power, political power, geographic, you know, I mean, all of that. Uh, you know, and, and in concert, you might say the Roman governor had more power, but in some ways, no, he didn't. So, so what you've got here is, is a boldness in front of these men that is really worth studying and observing. The, the boldness in verse 13, when they, the ruling council that has them in custody, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, all right, let me just comment on, on boldness and what it is here, because you might, you might think one thing and not, not see this. So boldness here is a freedom, an unintimidated freedom to speak, mingled with a gospel aptitude, like biblical gospel aptitude and competency. Those two things coming together is what form this boldness. A freedom and uh, an ability to not be intimidated by those who, uh, you know, who are uh, prosecuting them. A, a freedom that's unintimidated mingled with this biblical gospel grace aptitude. It's not so much the courage, you might think of this when you read the passage at first, it's not so much the courage to just stand against the world. That's what Christians need to do. They just need to stand against the world. It's not so much that. It's not so much the courage to just stand against the world as it is the freedom and composure to make a theological case for Christ in front of the Supreme Court that's about to, that, ha, that has their lives in their hands. And they're able to speak a compelling, convincing word in the midst of this group. Like Amy Coney Barrett just conducted herself not intimidated by the proceedings of an intense Senate Judiciary Committee. That would be incredibly intimidating. She spoke carefully and wisely and with freedom. Unlike ACB, Peter and John were not formally trained. They were not formally trained in the local seminary of rabbis. They, they didn't have formal education. They were, the, verse 13 says, now when they, the formally trained, the ones who hold the power and influencers, when they, the family of the high priest, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Look at this. They could have easily been intimidated by the public pressure. They're sitting in a circle, um, a huge circle of the, of the power brokers of Jerusalem who are firing questions at them and are about to say, don't ever speak about this again. They could have easily been intimidated in that moment, and yet they handled that public pressure with amazing poise and composure and competency and a, and a gospel aptitude to speak with clarity. Like, that's what boldness is in this passage. The boldness that is, is the, the boldness we want to discover from Acts chapter 4 is a freedom that is not intimidated combined with gospel clarity that knows how to speak into that moment. You don't need an accredited seminary degree to make a difference for Jesus. God loves to use regular, common men and women not, not educated by an elite cultural standard. God loves to do that. 
told me this week of a testimony he heard this, this very intelligent PhD in psychology, Freudian atheist, is telling her story, and she says, look, here, here's how I met Christ. Her uneducated, illiterate, immigrant housekeeper prayed for her, spoke to her, introduced her to the claims of Jesus Christ. And soon, over time, they end up kneeling by her bedside together so that this woman can pray to receive Christ. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were like astonished. They're like, how, how did they get this? How do they understand these things? What are they, who are they talking to? They were in fact trained, not in a formal degree program, but they were in fact trained. Look at verse 13 and just take a moment and look at the second, look at the end of verse 13 and see who it is and see where, see where this boldness comes from. So that's what it is. Now secondly, where does boldness come from? Verse 13, what does it say? They were astonished because they recognized they had been with Jesus. Now it's not the intention of the rulers of Israel to commend to you spending time with Jesus. That's not what Luke is saying. It's not their intention, but it is Luke's intention as an author of the book of Acts to say, yeah, I want to commend to you spending time with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw the connection. They made the link. They had been with Jesus. Gospel boldness comes from walking with Jesus, loving Jesus, spending time with Jesus, practicing the same habits that Jesus practiced. And that's, that's where boldness comes from. Spending time with Christ. Unless you imitate his way of life, his habits, his greatest loves. Like, do the, do, does, do the things that I love do they really, really reflect what Jesus loves, what God loves? Because I think what's happening to us is we're trying, like, I've got this impulse inside of me to share Christ with others, but I don't practice the disciplines to get me ready for game day. And if I don't practice the disciplines to get me ready for game day, on game day, I can't, I can't pull the trigger. I can't get it done. I was thinking about basketball and how, how important it is if you're playing basketball that you actually practice. And so I never, I never, I'm self-taught in basketball and it's a terrible thing, it's an ugly thing. I mean, when I get close, I just chuck the ball and hope it goes in. But if you play with somebody who's really played ball, who's practiced for hours on a high school team or a college team, you can see the difference. Like, it's really obvious to see. The casual observer can see the difference between someone who's practiced in the game of basketball and someone who's a self-studied hack, right? In fact, if you play and watch, you know, and you play pickup games, you'll just get smoked all day long. You're like trying to do something with the ball, and then they take, they take it from you. They steal it. It's mean. <laughs> and then and they make fun of you, and then they drain a three-pointer, and you know, like. 
Why? Because they practiced, not because they're supernatural, because they practiced the simple habits of dribbling, ball handling, shooting, moving in and out of the lane, and, and they're just, they practiced it for hours and hours and hours and hours so that in the game they can pop back to the three-point line and, and just drain one. It's, it's not an accident. And I think you and I are expecting that we're going to get out there and we're not going to practice we're not practicing. We're going to get out there, and at that right moment, when the Lord gives us an opportunity, the, the, you know, there's, this, there's space around us, and you have a chance to take a shot to voice the gospel for Jesus and to say something meaningful, gently but boldly. We think we're going to, we, we, just, we just throw it up, and it's not even close to the rim. So, where does it come from? It comes from spending time. Like habituating your life to the loves that Jesus, the things that Jesus loves, you love. So word and prayer and service and, and, and giving yourself away and ministering and like just over and over again, practicing the spiritual disciplines that characterize Jesus' life so that in that moment, it won't be fake to you. Because that's what people are struggling with. Because they know fake. People know fake. And you don't want to be fake. But you want to say, this, this is something I love. This is something I'm passionate about. Because people all the time just get on TV, get on YouTube, get on the phone, get on Instagram. You will see what people love. People love to talk about what they love. They're passionate about it. And you, don't, you and I don't want to talk about Christ so often because we haven't fostered the love through practicing daily habits that reflect the things that Jesus loves, that God loves. So if Bible reading is just Bible reading or it's just information because you're getting ready to teach a Sunday school class, if that's what it is for you, then that's not going to help you much. But if you go to the Word of God to be fed to, for your soul, we were talking about this this morning, right, Jane? If you go to the Word of God because you're hungering for God to come alive to you in His Word and feed your soul, then you've got something working. And you go to the Word and you pray and, and you serve others and you begin to give yourself away. And then in that moment when you have a chance to talk about who Christ is and what He's done for you, you have something to bring you have a shot to make, right? It's not hypocritical. It's real. I think one of the reasons we're struggling to voice our faith to people is that we're really not pressing in to practice time. And then we get frustrated. Like, I'm not good at basketball. I'm not good at basketball. I'm not going to play basketball anymore. And that's what you do. And then you stop sharing. Your, and it becomes this spiral down. And you never voice your faith. You go 10 years, 15 years, without ever voicing your faith to someone else. And yet it's inside of you. It just keeps growing inside. I know I need to do this. I want to tell somebody. But I don't know what to do. Where does it come from? It comes from spending time, habituating your life in line with Jesus and his loves and his passions. All right, well, here's the third thing. You can still do those things. There's a third element here that's sort of an intangible. It's the unwritten. It's the what makes it effective. Look, at back, look back to verse 8 and see if you can figure out what, what I mean here. What makes gospel boldness effective? Oh, you, what you just need to do is just be more bold. You just need to be more bold and be more intense and convince people they need to come to Jesus. No. 
I don't think that's going to work. That the guy at Starbucks tried that on me. That doesn't work. What's verse 8 say? Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me do just a quick little sketch on this because it's misunderstood a lot. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not some like weird supernatural thing and you know, your eyes begin to sparkle and you begin to speak like a guru. It's just not. To be filled with the Spirit is to be influenced by the gospel. To be influenced and under the control of God. In the book of Acts, you see that, you see that in, in, in places like Ephesians, right? Be not, drunk with, with, be not drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That is, be under the controlling influence of the Spirit of God and, and be made more and more into the image of Christ. When you look at the book of Acts, it means at least three things. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to give testimony to Christ, Acts 1.8. When the Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses. And when He comes, He will you know, empower you to give voice to the gospel with integrity. You'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to the end of the world. So it, it, it means that. Secondly, it means to share with boldness, the kind of boldness we're talking about here, a unique freedom and authority and humility that is compelling. Uh, and then third, it means to trust God to make it effective. Like you can actually entrust this people believing to God. You don't have to convince them. And that's what's happening with Peter. He's working out the testimony He's expressing it with boldness, and he's trusting God to make it effective since the Spirit of God alone can convict people of their sin and their need for Christ. How in the world is it that a person can hear the gospel presented 133 times throughout the first 18, 20 years of their life, or, or 40, they, however, however old they are, they can hear the gospel presented over and over and over, 133 times, but on the 134th time, the penny drops. Oh, I understand for the first time. Like, I think for the first time, God's grace is penetrating my heart. I understand the gospel. I want to believe. I want to make it public. I want to trust Jesus. I, I want to go to church. I want to, I want to pursue baptism. I, I want to live for Christ. How, why does that happen? How come, how come we have no control of that? Like, how come we can't schedule that? Because the Spirit of God is the one who brings life and who makes our witness effective. As we seek to tell others about Christ, I mean, this is so foundational. We, we need to, before, during, and after any kind of verbal expression of the gospel, be reminded that it is the work of the Spirit to bring life. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says rulers and people, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done by this crippled man, a, a good deed done to this crippled man, by what means he has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
There's no salvation in anyone else. That's an incredibly audacious claim. There's no salvation in any other person, no other way. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's a pretty audacious claim. Who's gonna convince people of that? The Spirit of God is gonna convince them. He's gonna make your witness effective. You know, we have to trust, we have to trust God to, to make this happen. And there's so much freedom in that. There is so much freedom in, in realizing that it's the work of the Spirit and that the filling of the Spirit is, um, the filling of the Spirit means that there is less and less of me and less and less of my argument and less and less of my you know, what I'm trying to get across, and more and more as if Jesus were making his appeal, like we said last time, God pleading with, uh, pleading through us, be reconciled to Christ. And yeah, so, what would make it effect, an effective witness? It will be the, the work of the Spirit. And you see that throughout the passage, by the way. It shows up again in verse 25, and it shows up again in verse 31. So all throughout the passage, you see the, this, the apostles depending on the Spirit to fill them and make their ministry effective. Here's the fourth question we want to answer. So gospel boldness, what is it? Where does it come from? What makes it effective? Now here's the fourth. To whom does it answer? This is in verse 18 and 19. Now let me refresh you on the story a little bit. So there's a man who's 40 years old, crippled his whole life. He's miraculously healed. That is undeniable. Peter and John say it's not our power that did this. It's Jesus, who you rejected, who made this man whole again. The council, knowing that they are stymied by this miracle since everyone saw it, they need some time to confer and get their strategy together in private, which they do. They come back in verse 18 and 19 with this answer. They called them back in front of them, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They ban them from ever speaking the name of Jesus again. This is the language. The, the language in this text is the language of absolute prohibition. Don't ever do this again. If you ever do this again, you're in big trouble. Don't ever speak about the name of Jesus again. Don't ever talk about Jesus again. We don't want to ever find out that you guys were talking about Jesus again. Is that clear? They're sitting in a, a circle in front of these guys, and that's been made very clear to them. And look at John, and look at Peter, and look at their answer. This is so encouraging, so strengthening. This is just gospel boldness here. I mean, it doesn't say who talked first, does it? Like Peter looks at John, he's like, you want to go? You want to go? Who's going to say this? Look at this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you're going to need to decide that. Whether it's right or not, you guys need to decide, but we already decided. We already decided 
We answer to God first. We answer to God first and foremost. And we cannot but, now don't miss this, because this is like, this really personalizes it. And we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Now look, you're not probably going to go out and heal somebody this week uh, miraculously. Now you may be a physician and you may bring healing care, but you're not going to probably, most of you are not going to go heal somebody miraculously this week. But you might have tasted some gospel healing yourself in your own soul. And you could say to someone, look, I can't explain everything about this, but the gospel of Jesus has brought such deep healing, deep and profound healing in my life. I can't, look, I can't explain everything, but I want to tell you, I just, I had a voice. I cannot but help to speak about what I've seen and heard. And that's why I want to, tell you this you I mean we're not apostles here we don't like we, we don't we're not apostles here we don't have this thing going on that they did but we have tasted the grace of God and I hope that that will somehow inspire your boldness not to convert people because you can't convert anybody but just to, just, to, just to bring with a gentle boldness, a gospel boldness, a testimony to how healing has happened and is happening in your own life. Have you, ever thought about your, have you ever thought about your own Christianity in that way? That Christianity is the healing of a broken soul. Have you ever thought about it like that? Like you're, you're not just body. You break an arm, you break a leg, you break something, you go to the doctor, you get it fixed, Right? Um, you're not just body, you're also soul. You're body and soul. You're material and immaterial. And the gospel is growing and changing and healing inside. Like the, the gospel is bringing deep healing to us. I've seen that. I've tasted it. Look, one of the reasons I am sure that I want to tell other people about Christ is that the healing and the grace and the forgiveness that is at work inside of my life, it did not come from me. If you're marveling about what happened, says Peter, not in our power, came from Jesus. There's no other name who saves. There's no other name who heals. There's no other name who comforts. There's no other name who restores. There's no other name who reconciles. There's no other name that can really give satisfaction to life like Jesus does. We're just singing about it beautifully. No other name. We answer to God, but we don't answer to God in such a way that we say, you guys don't know anything about what you're talking about, and we don't get mad at the, the culture, and we don't just yell at them. We answer to God, but we, we answer to God, and we turn around with a gentle boldness, with a humble beast kind of attitude. And... I think that's, I think if you don't answer to God first, you're going to have a hard time with the gentleness on this, with the, with the grace part. It's just going to turn into boldness, which is going to turn into like more pride and hubris and self-righteousness that's just baptized. Keep yourself answering to God first. 
And let's ask God to let that affect our gospel boldness. Yeah, I, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you're, you're gonna have to decide that. You, 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 you'll need to decide. I can't decide that for you. I can't impose this on you. I can't just say, believe this. You need to decide that, but I'll tell you what. I can, you know, I've experienced some healing. I've seen something amazing happen, and I would love for you to taste it. I was encouraged by a conversation I had with Bobby Waters this week, and he gave me permission to share this. His brother, Johnny, uh, for those of you who don't know Bobby, um, Bobby's in his 70s and uh, has brother Johnny, um, Johnny Waters, he, he lives down on the coast. He's dying from, he's, he has cancer, he's dying, hospice has been called in. And Bobby just said, hey, I, I need to run down there and spend some time with him. Will you pray for me? I wanna talk with him. I'm not sure about where he is with, with his relationship with the Lord. And so we're talking and praying and he's driving down and he goes down and, on the first day, he takes a devotional book with him and he starts talking to Johnny and, and shares with him a little bit. And Johnny says, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe in Jesus. Thanks for coming, right? We're brothers, thank you for coming. I don't believe in Jesus. So, you know, kind of back off. And Bobby's like, yeah. I mean, he, he read it right and listened and enjoyed the rest of the visit and so I still want to leave this with you left this devotional book right that would point him to Christ each day left it on the table went back to his hotel went back the next day to visit with him and the book had been moved and his glasses were on it his Johnny's glasses were on it and Bobby said so did looks like the book has been moved did someone move that and Johnny said well I looked at it I I read a couple pages of it. It's interesting. <laughs> Bobby said, I didn't want to press too hard. And like, well, you need to believe today. And so he was trying to, to, to balance that. And so I said, well, how'd you leave it? He said, well, I, we had a good visit. Visit ended well. And this is what Bobby, this is what I want you to hear. This is what Bobby told me on the way back on speaker phones. We're talking, he's driving, I'm driving. On the way back, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm going back. I'm, I'm going back and I'm gonna talk to him again. And I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna talk to him some more because I have a story to tell. I love the way he said that. He said, God, I've got a story to tell him. I said, well, what's your, what, are you, what are you gonna tell him? He said, I'm gonna tell him that I played church for most of my life. And playing church is not where it's at. He said, I want to tell him that the gospel has changed me and it's forever changing me and it can forever change him and I just want him to know that like it's, it's, it's now or never. You can trust Christ and he can make you new. I would love, I asked Bobby if we could pray for Johnny this morning because we're not just praying for Johnny this morning. We're gonna pray for the person that you have in your mind that you've been concerned about, your family member, your coworker, the person who's down the street, the neighbor that you've been thinking I should take something by during the holidays and just bless them and open up the conversation. Like, pr let's pray for, so Johnny represents those people and we're gonna to pray together for Johnny and for those who you want to share Christ with. And that's how we're gonna to close today and then we're gonna sing about Jesus.
Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you awakened the heart of a man named Bobby Waters to the gospel and that he wants Johnny to know Christ and that he is willing to drive back and forth. Like what else could be more important than to say to my brother, my blood brother, come and follow Jesus with me. Trust Jesus. You will never regret it. What if it's real? What if he really did make a way for you to spend forever with God in heaven and avoid eternal separation in a place called hell? What if that was true? God, I pray that you would Give Bobby a gentle boldness. And I pray for those right now, we're just gonna start listing some people's names in our hearts and minds, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. Lord, please give us a heart and a boldness to speak of Christ to them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing in response. Let's just turn our hearts to Christ in song this morning.